pantheon of comedic legends such as Richard Pryor, Gilda Radner, and Mel Brooks, today we look at another actor whose comedic wizardry graced the screen with Gene Wilder. Harrison Ford? Yep, it's the Ford Fiesta! Indy Adam Jones. And I'm Paul Clear and Preston Danger. Welcome to The Big Show, counting down the Harrison Ford movies all the way until Call of the Wild. How far away away from that movie? Well, 41 episodes. But we'll get there, because who doesn't want to see every single Harrison Ford movie? And for me, this show finally got me to schedule watching, for the first time, The Frisco Kid. This is another early career western for Ford, and we'll tell you all about it in our recap. But first, some housekeeping. We appreciate your tuning in, and if, and if you want to go one step beyond to help us out, please like and share these posts. Subscribe wherever possible, hit the alerts, and of course, follow us on social media, at The Movie Guys, pretty much everywhere, and themovieguys.net, where you can find all of our old shows that have led up to this appearance by Harrison Ford as outlaw Tommy Lillard. But first... What's new in the world of Harrison Ford? Paul? Well, first of all, the worst news ever. Indiana Jones 5, for lack of a better title, is pushed to 2023. Oh my god. Kind of inevitable, you know, with the injury just delaying things on the shoot. And so that's where we are. we got to wait a whole other year for Uh. this, which was supposed to come out next July. It will now be... The July after that, damn near two years. Oh man, I, I thought this, the timing was going to work out so perfect that we would wrap up. You know, I know it would go. Well, <laughs> the show would go straight from Call of the Wild and then right in theaters. You know, <laughs> well, the way we've delayed some of our episodes, yeah. you know, I think it's been a, over a month since the last yeah, one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then hey, you know, maybe we'll maybe we will make it by July twenty twenty three. We got jobs in a Monday show now, so you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but in the best news ever, well, Harrison Ford is back on the set. Yes. So he is working on the film. There were some photos of him with Phoebe uh, Waller-Bridge. Yeah. Right? Phoebe Waller-Bridge, yeah. And they're doing something where it looks like they had just, uh, they had parachutes on, like they had just jumped out of a plane or something, or mm. a helicopter, who knows what. So that's, they're, they're back at it, which is good news. That's good news. I mean, the worst news ever would be he died in a parachuting accident. <laughs> that would be the worst. Okay. <laughs> the so okayest me, news is the movie's been pushed. <laughs> yeah. Let me pull back on my previous yeah, yeah, statement. Yeah. But he, this means also he is out. I'm, I'm presuming this is because of Indiana Jones, again, going on much longer than the shoot expected. Yeah. But he's out of a new movie called The Burial. Burial. This is about a bankrupt funeral homeowner who decides to sue a rival businessman over a handshake deal gone wrong. So he hires a flamboyant attorney to handle the case. And he was supposed to be in that. It looks like Tommy Lee Jones, his former rival from The Fugitive, oh. is going to take over that role with alongside Jamie Foxx. So it might have been cool to see Ford and Jamie Foxx in a movie together. But yeah. Now you're going to get Tommy Lee Jones instead. So That kind of makes me think, the burial, when you say that that, that premise, I, I, I'm i in a big Steven Soderbergh kick lately, and I'm like, that'd make a good Steven Soderbergh movie premise. You know, kind of funny, fun drama. And it just made me realize, like, I want to see Harrison Ford in a Steven Soderbergh movie. Uh, we all know we all know the story that that was close, right? Oh, no. They turned down oh, traffic. traffic, right. Yeah. Which is a shame. That's a real shame, yeah. Michael Douglas was great in it, but, like, I don't know. Maybe he thought... I'm still a leading man. I'm you know, six days, seven nights, or whatever. <laughs> but 
It would have been it would have been cool to see him in a big prestige project like that. No, this ensemble bullshit. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. So this is the worst news ever. Actually, a, a crew member died on the set of Indiana Jones Five. Oh no! Uh, and of course, it's sad. It's contributing to the moniker "troubled production." Yeah. After Ford's injury, and also, of course, after the Rust incident, this is naturally news. But it was all natural causes. Apparently, he just died. And oh, but you know, just he didn't evolved, get you know, shot by the lead. I mean, that's a yeah, exactly. significant difference. <laughs> yeah. But still, yeah. you know, it's uh, another thing that's made that shoot rough, and um, and it happened in Morocco. So, also on the side note, as a fan, Morocco, Morocco, mm-hmm. what are you shooting in Morocco? I like uh, this. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and another quick news: a visual artist named LV4 teamed with a hip hop group called the Underachievers for a track called Harrison Ford. Does he have anything to do with this? No. Do they call the track Harrison Ford? Yep. I guess that's like the Gorillas put on a song called Clint Eastwood, which is pretty oh, yeah. great. And if we'll listen to just a hair of this so we don't anger the YouTube police, sure. here's a little bit of uh, the Underachievers and LV4 with Harrison Ford. Never think I play my role, could call me Harrison Ford. Here's solo with the saber, princess Leia with the Lord. Devil's letters from the West, I ship it back and blow it forward. Keep me strapped full attack like I was Indiana Jones. And they do reference... Indiana Jones and and things in this. I don't know. Does the song Clint Eastwood refer to the Deadpool or anything? Uh, I don't think so. What is it? Like? <laughs> Do they reference Pink Cadillac? What is it? Uh, I got sunshine in a bag. Yeah. Of and I, I don't. No I think that's just called Clint Eastwood, Eastwood for grins. Also, in in fun news, Blade Runner twenty forty nine is getting a four K re release. Imagine watching that at home in four K. Oh. That'd be. Pretty sweet. I, I am on the verge of buying a new TV because uh, both of my TVs, my 15-year-old TVs, went kaput within about two weeks of each other. And first of all, anybody that's bought a TV recently, can you believe what these things weigh now? Because I, I transported a new bedroom TV and I picked it up with one hand. And then when I went to pick my old TV, my 15-year-old TV up to throw it away, I was like, it was the weight drop in 15 years is insane. But now I might be on the verge of getting a 4K TV. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a friend of the show, Ray Scalacci, has a 70-incher. And so he's <laughs> like, I, hey, listen, I had no problem during the pandemic watching movies at home. No. You know, 4K, 70. I mean, it's like practically at the theater. Yeah. Well, and also, I'm the proud owner of my very first 4K DVD because I just bought uh, Apocalypse Now so that we can talk about uh, yes. the, the great performance by the guy who plays Colonel Lucas. And uh, so and now I have a, uh, I have a 4K uh, DVD myself. Who plays Colonel De Palma in that? Colonel De Palma? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, of course, as ever, I Google Harrison Ford News because it's going to be something weird and wacky, you know, like him thanking the the firefighter who was retiring or, you know. Hey, I just love he's out there doing stuff, man. It's just. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, he's not shooting the movie, so he's out doing other stuff. Uh, so, But he's back now. But another thing that happened while he was off set, he was in Italy and he lost his credit card. And a guy returned it. So the cops returned it to Harrison Ford and he was thrilled, took a photo with him. And the photo, of course, goes viral because it's a bunch of happy Italian cops and Ford holding up his credit card. Uh, to which he said, Italy was as beautiful as it is honest. Oh, also, Italy, huh? Uh, Italy, huh? Morocco and Italy. Mm. Of course, Morocco and Italy and Scotland. Of course, you know, wherever else is amazing. They're there shooting. I'm just glad they're globe hopping and, you know, hitting some. Uh, yes. You know. Right. You've heard me bitch about, you know, no, no more studios. Yeah. 
Get dysentery. Come on. <laughs> get out there. Get injured. <laughs> Come in. Get some dysentery. <laughs> uh, one more quick recurring show segment before we get to the recap. This date in four history. November 14th, 1977. Heroes is released. Uh, one of our favorite uh, Harrison Ford hillbilly roles that we covered very recently. And if you haven't seen it, uh, we've got a show on it. That'll get you more hyped. So go back in our archives, find the Heroes episode of the Ford Fiesta, listen to that. You'll get all fired up to go out and see this little scene, Henry Winkler, Sally Field movie with a great Harrison Ford being all Harrison Fordy in it. And November 16th, 1998, Harrison Ford is named People's Sexiest Man Alive. And they just named a new uh, Sexiest Man Alive. So this must occur at this time uh, every year. Oh, uh, yes. And this is this is for six days, seven nights, the Random Hearts year. So uh, it's, uh, it's that era. Yeah. The earring yeah, you got, Harrison Ford, right? Yeah. So that was all sorts of talk, you know, who he got an earring and he was probably, so he's probably 50 something yeah. in an earring. But also went, what? 50 something getting sexiest man alive. I mean, they, yeah. they only really give that to like 30 and 40 year olds or you know, 20 year olds or whatever. Or ageless Paul Rudd. Or ageless Paul. Yeah. Who knows how old he is. There's a great meme going around with like somebody did the uh, old age filter on the Avengers so it's old Hemsworth old Paul Rudd looks the same (laughs) (laughs) that's great Uh, and uh, also November 16th 1998 oh right on the uh, right after he was named people's sexiest man alive big day for Harrison Ford big day Fidole Harrison Ford I a species event is uh, named after Harrison Ford for his conservation efforts so there's an ant out there named after Harrison Ford and and Fidoli his dog I guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I love that, you know, it, it had popped up that he had an ant species named after him. But I do love that it's actually on purpose. Like, you know, just we're not for fans. It was for his conservation efforts because they're very well known that he's uh, very vocal on that, which is cool. You know, one of the things you dig about being a fan of his. I know, I know. It's it's cool, isn't it? Like he does all this cool stuff on screen, but then off screen you're like, he's a you know, conservationist. He's uh, coming out for the Buddha, or no, not the Buddha, the... Uh, um, <laughs> the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama, you know, like all that all that sort of stuff. It's, it's really cool. He's just the greatest, and we will not stop saying that every episode. He's <laughs> just the greatest. All right, well, enough of that. Let's get to why we came. The Frisco Kid. Many of you may not know that film, so let's tell you what it's all about. The Western The Frisco Kid begins where you'd expect it to. In 1850, Poland at a yeshiva, a training institution for rabbis where a group of Hasidic Jews disagree loudly with one another and pound their fists upon a table, deliberating the fate of Avram Bolinsky, played by Gene Wilder. Avram is a terrible rabbi, finishing 87th in a class of 88, which gets you a congregation as far away from the yeshiva as possible. In America, where the gold rush has made San Francisco... San Francisco! ...cosmopolitan enough to get its very own Jewish population. So how did you came? You drove and did you flew? An inconsistently appearing voiceover by Avram tells us he is bound for Philadelphia, which he calls the city where all brothers love each other showcasing Avram's innocence as someone who's never been to an Eagles game. But upon arriving in the port city, he learns that the only boat to San Francisco for the next two months left a day early, straining Avram with no choice but to travel across the great expanse of the American West. A kind of fiddler on the range, if you will. I won't. All right, then how about a Wild West version of planes, trains, and automobiles? Ooh! 
Everim is immediately built by a trio of con men who promise passage to Frisco in a covered wagon. But once on the open road, they beat him up, take all his money, and leave him and his clothes strewn about the ground. Avram slowly retrieves the clothing, giving the movie time to complete the opening credits. To fit in better in America, Avram acts like a local by completely disrespecting an entire ethnic group, by confusing a passing band of Amish for Hasidic Jews. After treating the audience to some wonderful dueling dialects with Yiddish and Pennsylvania Dutch duking it out, Avram faints upon seeing the image of a cross on the Elder's holy book. The Amish take pity on him and give him money for train travel. Avram responds that he will never forget their kindness, and presumably tells his co-star of the kindness as well, so that six years later the world can be treated to witness. That co-star, of course, is who this movie is really about. Harrison Ford plays Tommy Lillard, bank robber extraordinaire, whom the movie introduces to us on Avram's train. But curiously, does not introduce to Avram, as Tommy robs the passenger car while the rabbi is in the bathroom, and escapes before the two can meet, leaving us to wonder what the point of the scene actually was. Avram disembarks the train miles before his destination because we've reached a Saturday, and as he explains in the conveniently reappearing voiceover, Saturday is the Sabbath, or Jewish Holy Day. Saturday, Donnie, is Shabbos, the Jewish day of rest. And no devout Jew does any riding on that day. That means I don't work, I don't drive a car, I don't fucking ride in a car, I don't handle money, I don't turn on the oven, and I sure as sh don't fucking roll! Instead of riding on the train, Avram gets work on the railroad, where his, shall we say, kosher workways meld well enough with the regular sounds of the spike driving crew. But where his aim leaves much to be desired and his hammer repeatedly strikes the foot of the biggest bruiser in the gang. And hilarity ensues. Oh, Max Senate, will you ever run out of comedy ideas? Avram makes enough money to buy himself a horse to ride the rest of the way to San Francisco. But after raccoons eat all his food on his first night alone on the open range, Ach du lieber raccoons! Avram shouts, why me, to the heavens, as he's figuring out what occurred to this viewer 20 minutes ago. Maybe God hates this guy? Right about now, we're starting to wonder where that handsome train robber went. But have no fear, for this is when Harrison Ford truly makes his entrance to help Avram, who is attempting to spear trout in a stream. But Tommy solves the problem of catching a fish the Ford Fiesta way with gunplay. I'm pretty hungry. Some good-natured bonding then ensues over the campfire as Tommy quizzes Avram about where he's going and what his resources are. Got any money? No. Got any food? No. Got Mel Brooks anywhere in the credits? No. You ain't gonna make it. The two resolve to go their separate ways, but not before Tommy provides Avram with some pretty solid, AAA-worthy directions on how to get to Frisco. Once I get to the desert, God willing, I just continue straight as piss till I come to the ocean. Take a left, keeping the ocean on my right shoulder, and just hot-tail it right into San Francisco. Quickly realizing that Avram understands everything about the directions except how to get his horse to properly follow them, Tommy hastens the pair's reunion by deciding to stay with the rabbi and lead him into Frisco personally. What do you call this in Jewish? Atuchus. Well, you keep your eyes on this tukus and don't take them off till I tell you. Anything you say, Harrison. If there's one thing audiences of this show know, we'll follow that ass anywhere. That is America's ass. 
as the kosher Willy Wonka and the High Plains Han Solo make their way across the landscape, they engage in some good-natured banter, teaching each other the fine points of their respective languages. What kind of word is that? What word? You always say she it at a certain moment. She it? Well, you must have a word in your language that you... What do you say when you get really took by surprise? Oi, Gewalt. Oi, Gewalt? Yeah? That's it. That's what she it means. The two disagree on whether to continue in the winter weather. Avram wants to, but Ford says, you ain't gonna talk me into it, which is maybe something he should have said to his agent about this script. Avram recklessly pushes on, but of course, heroic Harrison Ford doesn't leave him to die. He joins him, and as the two camp down for the night, they huddle in each other's arms for warmth, introducing the first strains of bromance into this tale. Ah, to be kept warm in the arms of Harrison Ford. Definitely a step above being placed inside a downed tauntaun for sure. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Arriving in a new town, Avram at last recognizes the genre of movie he's in. You know, I think this is the West. We're in the Wild West here. As Tommy makes a quick stop off at the local bank to rob it. Avram finally learns what we've known all along. Tommy's official profession is bank robber. A posse quickly forms among town folk. At $11 a man, even the Old West pays better than the current minimum wage. And the two quickly find themselves being chased up into the hills. Avram objects to being made into a wanted man. The rabbi threatens to give the money back and a fistfight ensues. Harrison Ford lands not only a solid punch, but a pretty good pistol whipping as well. Then, of course, you recognize this is all being done against nebbishy little Gene Wilder. And you kind of feel bad that Harrison Ford is essentially punching down here. Also, Ford's first on-screen punch, as we've mentioned, was Jack Lemmon in Love, meaning that by this point in his career, Harrison Ford has hit one half of both The Odd Couple and the producers. <laughs> Not exactly one for the Tough Guy Hall of Fame. The Sabbath hits at the worst time, with a bloodthirsty posse on their trail, which is not a time to refuse to ride a horse. As Tommy pleads for him to ride, Avram declares that he will walk his horse as fast as possible, but no riding until the sun goes down. Would-be hilarity ensues as the two men bicker all day about this unorthodox, orthodox choice. There ain't no Jews in that posse, you know? They just soon string you up on Saturday as any other day. They don't give a sh for your holidays, don't you know that? And they get away from the posse anyway, proving that having Harrison Ford at your side is the best possible insurance against capture, even more so than an able-bodied horse. Then the cast of ships, trains, and horses comes upon a tribe of Indians. Uh, Paul, I think that's Native Americans now. Yeah, movie calls them Indians, so I think we can too. Anyway, the pair successfully get away, only to have Avram lose his Torah in the process. Against Tommy's protests, he goes back for it, and they get caught by the tribe, and are on the verge of being burned at the stake, only to be spared by the chief when he is impressed by Avram's devotion to his holy book. Oh, and then it rains. The Indians had been praying for rain, apparently, so this makes them duly impressed with Avram and his god. After some brief dancing and peyote eating, suddenly we're in a Franciscan monastery because this movie. It's basically a long setup to a breaking a vow of silence joke. And then just as quickly as we somehow ended up in a monastery, we're on to the next scene. And then... Right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> At the next town, Avram goes to the Wells Fargo office and returns his half of the stolen money from the bank job Tommy pulled off earlier. An action which so enrages Tommy that he does, in fact, here deliver one of Harrison Ford's greatest lines. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get me a bath. Then I'm going to get drunk. Then I'm going to catch me a whore with great big tits. Then I'm going to get drunk again. Then I'm going to rob that Wells Fargo office and get my money back. 
At a local bar, Avram runs into the three shifty varmints who beat and robbed him before the open credits were through. When Avram demands his money back, he finds himself in a confrontation only the quick gun hand of Han Solo himself can extricate him from. Nobody move. Sorry about the mess. On the next day's ride, they reach the Pacific Ocean and decide to split up again. As Tommy instructs Avram, he is just a sharp right away from that straight as piss ride into San Francisco. San Francisco! Tommy himself will be taking a left, heading to Sutter's Mill where the gold is. This is where the movie goes full-on I love you man as Avram tearfully proclaims Tommy his best friend in the whole world and that he wants him to be best man at his wedding. Here Tommy realizes that, against all his usual instincts, there's more to him than just money. Hey, I knew that was more to you than money! And decides to follow his friend into San Francisco instead. But first, they inaugurate their BFF status Rocky III style by stripping down to their skivvies and taking a dip in the ocean together. With their guard down, the three conmen return and get the drop on them. It looks bleak for our heroes indeed until our heretofore simple innocent rabbi decides to go all wrath of God, picking up a loose gun and killing one of the men. What would prompt him to do this, you ask? Well, clearly you have not been party to this masterful Harrison Ford harangue. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you 53 seconds of pure Ford glory. He's out of bullets! He dropped the gun! Get the gun! Shoot him! They're right there, look! It's in the sand! Don't let him grab the other gun! Shoot him! He's gonna kill us! Shoot him! Shoot him, Abram! He's going for the other gun! Shoot him, for Christ's sake! Shoot him! Help me! He's gonna kill us! Shoot him! Shoot him, Abram! Shoot him! Don't you understand? He's going for the other gun! Don't let him grab that gun! Don't let him grab the other gun! There! There, right there! Regardless of this top-notch salesmanship for gunplay, Avram feels pangs of guilt at murdering a man in cold blood. Rabbi, you know. He feels he's no longer fit to be a rabbi after this most recent display. This earns him a serious dressing-down Harrison Ford style from Tommy, including 13 righteous anger-fueled finger points. You are a rabbi. You can fall in the mud, you can slip on your ass, you can travel in the wrong direction. But even on your ass, even in the mud, even if you go in the wrong direction for a little while, you're still a rabbi. That's what you are. No one can possibly face that much Harrison Ford without reconsidering. And so Avram does. Not a moment too soon, as he and Tommy are descended upon by the congregation he is set to lead, including the daughter of the town elder to which he has been betrothed. But hold on now, before you can bust a chorus of sunrise sunset, into the same restaurant pops the surviving member of the trio of varmints they just dueled with on the beach. He challenges Avram to a fair fight on the streets of San Francisco. But like a good rabbi, he has suddenly decided again to... But like the good rabbi... Like a good rabbi... <laughs> oh, sorry. But like the good rabbi he has suddenly decided to be, Avram refuses to draw his gun. A noble and principled stand until you realize he has the full gun-toting might of Harrison Ford there to back him up. This eventually makes the varmint back down, whereupon Avram tells him to get the hell out of town. Varmint, a word generally not used enough. <laughs> a wedding, dancing, a final wandering voiceover, and closing credits quickly follow. 
And I do mean quickly. It's like once they got to this point in the movie, everyone in the production office suddenly all realized they were into golden time. So that's a wrap. And that's the Frisco Kid, everybody. There you go. The Frisco Kid. That was that. All right, let's give our thoughts on this one because it's a it's a long timer with both of us. 1979 is when it came out, and so we've been around this movie for a long time. But I'll be damned if I remember liking it, and you'll be damned if you can confirm it ever came out. So where do we stand now? I'll lead with saying, yeah, I don't care for it much. No, <laughs> that didn't change moments, moments, but overall, it started with a terrible script, and nobody did anything with it beyond. How it just laid there so flat. It's like an exercise in how to how not to write because it's just it's it's another and this and then this happened, and it commits the the worst sin of this type of high concept movie, which I've always said about Suicide Squad, is if the audience can imagine all of the crazy potential of this premise. So a, a Jewish guy goes to the Old West, right? A rabbi goes to the Old West. If you can imagine all of the crazy potential and then it lives up to, it didn't think of any of them. <laughs> oh, I see blazing saddles, but with a rabbi who comes to town, I got it. And it does none of that. It it doesn't even try. It didn't even think of all the potential of this fish out of water story. It didn't think of any of it. Well, apparently America agreed uh, on a $9.2 million budget. It made, and this is, these are very specific stats according to internet, $9.3 million. <laughs> so didn't make back its marketing budget. Uh, so the tag and the tagline must have not brought them in either. The greatest cowboy to ever ride into the Wild West from Poland. <laughs> that's, mean, that's the tagline? That, that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's on the poster, and that's a setup that, again, we can get behind, but the execution was far from... And, and when you look at, like, the DVD that you gave me, I mean, they just throw the word comedy around all the time. You know, uh, uh, they're a feisty team, and this rough-and-ready romp. Uh, Robert Aldrich is a seasoned hand at blending roughhouse and laughter, of riding tall in the comedy saddle. Not funny enough. Uh, this is a weird choice for him also. Is this a weird choice or what? He is needing The Empire Strikes Back at this point. Right. Uh, and I never knew until watching all these films in succession how important Raiders of the Lost Ark was in terms of cementing his superstar status. I mean, right. because, you know, the sequel to Star Wars comes along and it's really good. And everyone's like, okay, this guy's great. And then he, he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, Heroes, Force 10... You know, and uh, and Hanover Street and Frisco Kid, Ooh. his follow-ups to Empire. You know, he had to go, all right, what am I going to do so I don't do this quartet of subpar? Uh, I need another blockbuster to be the Harrison Ford that we're all going to be. And then Raiders came in and was that movie. And thank God, because now we're all happy because of Harrison Ford being who he is. It, it, it's amazing how little Harrison Ford or uh, how little Han Solo proved to the Hollywood that this was something special. They, you know, you just look at the career of an actor and it's like, wow, it didn't actually give him a bump. Yeah. Whereas Carrie Fisher and uh, uh, Mark Hamill in anything between Star Wars and Corvette Empire? Corvette Summer. Mark Hamill did Corvette, Corvette Summer. Summer. Right. It did nothing for their careers. It yeah. did a Jake Lloyd for them. It's yeah. all, it did nothing. And I got a controversial take. I think Gene Wilder was in a lot of bad movies. Yes. Yes. Because when he hams it up here when there's nothing going on in the script to get the scene over the hump, 
I, I recognize that Hamlin. I'm like, oh, he does that a lot when there's like in a haunted honeymoon or a hank- hanky panky or a, or the late uh, movies he made with uh, uh, with Pryor, like see no evil, hear no evil. Right. Just, they just do the screaming thing, act like the panicked thing, you do all that stuff. That but it's like there was nothing underneath it. I see this with Melissa McCarthy now. Give that girl a script because you can't rely on her just natural comedic instincts to take the scene over the top. You need the script. I watched all the Pink Panther movies with Stephen Lewis, and there was a certain aspect to comedy, which was take a not-that-funny script and just have the comedian at the center of it work his ass off. Like Peter Sellers, you know, the party. One scene, one location, and... very few jokes and you go in and work your ass off just work your ass off Peter Sellers and that's how a comedy was made prior to Animal House Frisco Kid was in development for seven years so oh my god um, <laughs> before uh, Ford was in Star Wars you know so they had to be psyched to get him attached once you're once it's flailing for a while and then Star Wars I go that guy he's in yes we're gonna make this thing you know it'll be great and then all that time and they didn't quite flesh it all out the way they you know, all they came up with was we got Rabbi Avram and he's Ted Lassoing his way through the old west. Right. You know, being nice to everybody. And yeah. that's enough. No, we need laughs. It needed laughs. No, and it just it was so misguided that all these scenes you could see what the comic potential was supposed to be, and then there would be no outline. There would be no punchline and then it would just end. It would think it would think it had a punchline. Yeah. Like things were said that was like wrap up sentence, but you're like, that's it? That's how you wrapped up that whole thing. And he just goes from one scenario to the next. He's dropped off in America, and I forget what the opening scene with the other rabbis is. Let's send him to America because they hate him because he's Jar Jar Binks. He's clumsy. (laughs) No, he goes and works for a railroad, and they say he's so bad at that. And it's the most, like, hacky, you know, he tries to carry a pitcher of water, but he's got a two-by-four carried from a two-by-four. And, oh, no, he conked two guys in the head with a (laughs) two-by-four. I just bring up your take on Evan Almighty. We went to the premiere of Evan oh, Almighty years ago, right. and there were scenes happening earlier in that film, and you could already tell, ooh, this is not going to be good. And uh, there was some scene between two of the kids, and and then they said a couple of things, and then it cut to the next scene, and you went, wow, Judd Apatow would have found a way to put a joke in there. Right. You know, and that some was what happened all the time here. This, Like, they're, they're eating uh, fish that they caught right. uh, in the Frisco Kid, and... They caught them because Harrison Ford's character shot them. And yes. so that's kind of funny. And so they're eating the fish. And he says, what do you call this fish? He says, it's called a trout. It's got a lot of bones. <laughs> <laughs> and they cut to the next that's scene. It. I'm like, that's the line that's you're the going line. out on? Sure talk funny. Where are you born at? <laughs> this, this really felt like a rejected Jerry Lewis script of this yeah, time. It's kind of... My read there kind of uh, helped enforce that. It's got a lot of bones with the glavin. But like the 1979 <laughs> hardly working era of Jerry Lewis, you're like, <laughs> and then Jerry's yeah. funny. And then Gene is funny. We watched the trailer as well, which was like, you loved him in Blazing Saddles. You loved him in Young Frankenstein. You loved him in Silver Streak. But then they, they look at a photo of his wife because he also is traveling to San Francisco, not only to be a rabbi, yeah. but he's going to get married. So the, the wife's been picked out. And they look at the photos of the wife, and and they say, "Oh, this." And Harrison Ford says, "Oh, the other girl in this picture is pretty mm. cute too." That's it. <laughs> like, 
there's a room for a joke maybe or right. something clever a reason to have the scene or even a oh i sure hope they make it to san francisco because the only thing tying this whole thing together is that he's headed towards san francisco and when he gets yeah. there the movie can theoretically end <laughs> yes gracefully uh and, yeah and then of course they look at that photo they go to sleep and before they do uh, you know uh avram says i'll try to be as quiet as possible scene end i mean this just kept happening yeah like, that's not a funny enough line. I mean, I mean, again, coming off the Peter Sellers thing was like just doing the Clouseau accent was meant to get a lot of jokes that for underbaked scenes in in the Pink Panther. And I see that the same as here is like, I guess just doing that overly Jewish, you know, uh, rabbi voice uh, was supposed to get a lot of the laughs because there there were no jokes written in. I think the half baked uh, remake of the Pink Panther, as much as I love Steve Martin, was one of his biggest hits. But for some reason that did not land on me at all. Yeah. And sure enough, their biggest bit is that he can't say hamburger, hamburger. Right. You know, so it's like the, all we got is the funny French because we got nothing else. Yeah. By the time the movie ends, there's fair, fairly dramatic Western sequences that I like. The, the You know, the he gets called out, they all go out in the town and there's drama there and suspense and we'll, what's going to happen. You know, so maybe they should have just been dramatic through the whole thing. Right. Don't pretend it's a jokey, a joke fest. You know, don't pretend it's a comedy. Just like show us a dramatic tale of a, some a fish out of water who has to really survive the elements and get to where he's going. And I don't know, cast somebody else besides Gene Wilder. I think you're onto something. This may yeah. not have been a comedy until they cast Gene Wilder, and now it's got to be Blazing Saddles. But it doesn't even try and be Blazing Saddles, except that it is clearly the actor from Blazing Saddles in the Cleveland Little position. Although they avoid that like crazy, but they might as well just have him go into town and defend him, defend the town from the, the town punks. I mean, it ultimately ends up there. You know, they, they meet a villain along the way, played by William Smith, who just had a uh, two-week festival at the New Beverly that I was a part of. So it was kind of cool to see him as a, a villain in this, sort of capped off my any which way you can and Rumblefish uh, swinging barmaids Hollywood man festival over at the New Beverly. Yeah, they didn't include this, though. They didn't, and we realized halfway through exactly why. <laughs> Gene Wilder didn't even sign on to the project until it got many rewrites under its belt. So, whew, Oh, my God. Imagine how it was, like, four <laughs> rewrites. You look at these scenes, and you're like, everybody's got to realize this scene isn't working. The director's got to realize it. The writer's got to realize it. The actors have to realize, like, this scene ain't working. You know, sometimes you watch an actor work their ass off to try and make something work. I don't even know if they were doing that in these scenes. I mean, they're acting. It's a lot of talk. It's a lot of talk. And director Robert Aldrich, who made Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, The Dirty Dozen, and The Longest Yard, yeah, uh, clearly has made it, you know, a comedy and made an action film. I think he could blend the two. But um, an interesting story I read is that John Wayne was originally courted to play Tommy Lillard, Harrison Ford's character. He okay. had made True Grit and Rooster Cogburn and thought, hey, a comedic sort of follow-up to those might be a good idea. Ford, uh, Ford remarked later that director Robert Aldrich always looked at him on the set as if he was disappointed that he wasn't John Wayne. Oh, God. <laughs> but he said, but it was fun to work with Gene. And it was interesting to see, oh, it was fun to work with Gene. Like, we're in like four or five movies in a row now where he's like, I didn't have any fun making it. I didn't enjoy this project. I don't know why I was part of it. And yeah. here, this one, probably not the best of the bunch. And he's like, well, I enjoyed working with Gene. <laughs> so. This is the preeminent comedian of the time. This is the guy from, you know, those other movies we just mentioned. He's an epic comedian, and Harrison Ford is not going to do a comedy again to win. Working Girl? You're looking at Blade Runner, more Star Wars movies, two more Indiana Jones movies, Witness, Mosquito Coast. Yeah, he's not 
getting funny again until Working Girl. And is this his only comedy so far? Yeah, unless you count American Graffiti. But this is a straight-up comedy. This is Gene Wilder, uh, Fish Out of Water, you know, so... You know, he gets all the cowboy moments. He gets to draw his gun. He gets to fire. He gets to shout stuff. He gets to curse. He gets to say, I'm going to have me a drink. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that all with the Western accent. And, you know, and it's so obnoxious that for such an epic actor that Harrison Ford is, there's no Western treatment of him. There's no John Wayne shots. There's no Clint Eastwood cowboy moments, classic Western moments. He has a few, but he's in a Bogart role here. He's in a a classic Western character role, and he doesn't get to do anything with it. I mean, he's kind of in a legit John Wayne role from uh, yeah. Liberty Valance, you know, because in that you have Jimmy Stewart, who's the meek sort of, uh, you know, book smart guy. And in this, you have Gene Wilder, who's that. And then on either side of them, really doing all the muscle work is John Wayne and Harrison Ford. So they're comparable parts. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say Richard Aldrich or Robert Aldrich is John Ford. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. By no means. But let's talk more about Harrison Ford, because yeah, we're crapping on this movie, oh, but I there's know, so right? much this great is, stuff. This is what we're here for. Well, that's the great thing is, I mean, he, it just, he's, he is, you know, you look at his face in this. His face is slightly changing between movies that what we have right now, now is the face of Harrison Ford in Empire Strikes Back. And so all the, all the facial features and all the little furrows of his brow and stuff, it's like, I relate all of these as moments we've seen. There's a lot of classic Harrison Ford in everything he says and does and the way he, his tone is just like, there's not a single thing he says in this that ain't Harrison Ford sounding as can be. You can tell that he's about to go shoot the hallway sequence on Hoth with Leia. Right, like ah yeah. uh, 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 yeah. uh, ah, like yeah, like all that stuff. You, you, you can see it's there. It's waiting to come out with a better director and a, and a better story. But he's way comfortable. He knows his Harrison Fordness now. You know, earlier movies we were watching, he's nervous or trying to play something that he will never play again, kind of because it's just an ill fit. But he's figuring it out. You know, he's not charming comedy guy in Star Wars, but he's got charm. But he's about to be charming and funny in Empire Strikes Back, and he really. He really gets that here. You know, he's all action in Force 10. He's all lover boy in Hanover Street. And he's all f- funny here. It's, so you add all those three together before Empire Strikes Back. And that's what we get in Empire Strikes Back. So it's pretty cool. And Warner Brothers knows it too. Because, and it's funny, we watched your DVD today. And on the poster for the Frisco Kid, it's a picture of Gene Wilder with his hand on his hat going, whoa, riding a horse. And in the bottom corner is a picture of Harrison Ford. And then by the time a DVD comes out, big picture of Harrison Ford, uh-huh. a tiny picture of Gene Wilder in the corner. You showed me the poster from the release of the movie. It's a Drew Struzan. Yeah, that was a separate one. That was yeah. a great poster. And the, obviously the DVD comes from, you know, in the 90s, they would not, you had to get the rights from that artist to use that poster. So that's only for special editions now, much like Force 10 from Navarone. I just saw they've released a Blu-ray of that and that's got that poster that we love with the big painting and everything, you know. Like the dam uh, breaking and everyone the running. Dam the dam breaking. Yeah, because yeah, awesome. they just did a, a, a Blu-ray remaster of that movie, which I may have to buy. I think I need to see that in super <laughs> high fidelity. But this one, it's got the classic 1992, you know, put two fa- heads together and yeah. It's just so fun to watch Harrison Ford, everything he says in this. I mean, obviously, we're going into it as a fan to love everything he says, but everything he delivers in terms of being very Harrison Ford, he gets a lot more Harrison Ford in in this than Force 10. And Unfortunately for me, it was backloaded. Like, his sequence where he's at the end of dinner when he's trying to get 
Avram to realize that despite the fact that he shot a man, he could still be a good rabbi was hilarious. Right. He's so frustrated. He's throwing oh, yeah. he's throwing bread rolls and like <laughs> over gesturing and getting nuts, and it was funny. And then he goes out in the street and has to interrupt the duel. The duel, and that's when he finally they they kind of film him sort of like a classic cowboy western type figure so he had us a go ahead make my day type moment right. with the villain and it's like oh that's great and then credits uh-huh. I'm like cow oh, it would have been nice to get I know. a whole movie of that <laughs> and he saves the day a couple times i mean there's there's a moment earlier where there's a bar fight and it uh, it's almost got the same suspense of like tote holding the uh iron the your fire is dying up to uh marion and raiders and you're like i'm like come on indy come on indy and then it's like you know (laughs) boom let her go nobody move it's in the same tone as let her go but it's it's so there's just there is a lot of fun fun harrison ford again as scholars as like we're eating up every line this guy says we're eating up every close-up they're going to give this guy any kind of classic western moment and you know he's he's on solo it feels like the first and last time we'll see him in a cravat oh yes yes he's, he's that classic is... cowboy the whole movie a little bit of willie bill from journey to shiloh there but by the end there's a there's an upscale uh you know wedding and he's kind of dressed up and it's like oh i don't think i've ever seen him look like that yeah period piece dapper he's period yeah. piece dapper in fact i mean how many period pieces is he going to do again raiders is 1930s uh yeah but then, you know, then he goes on to like a macho white guy, you know, Jack Ryan and Frantic and, yeah. and John Yeah, Book. period pieces are going to be restricted to only Indiana Jones and Cowboys and Aliens. Pretty much. Like, I think this is the last hillbilly he plays, although it does play a country guy in, you know, a sheriff, but more respected or whatever in Cowboys and Aliens. I'm very curious to see that now because I've never seen that movie. I, I just, I can't believe you didn't see Indiana Jones and James Bond fight aliens. Right. Well, this will be fun. <laughs> Can't believe either. <laughs> and also, you know, now I'm looking at uh, Willie Bill and uh, whatever this character's name was, Frisco Kid. Tommy uh, you know. Lillard. Tommy Lillard. Tommy Lillard. Put that in your list. But this was not a great time for Westerns. A whole bunch of them were tanking. And even right around the years that this came out, 78 to 80, it had Going South, The Villain, and The Legend of the Lone Ranger with Clinton Spilsbury, oh, which you always love to bring up. I love up. that. I love that movie. They all kind of tanked around this you know nicholson was in going south they'd think they'd have a shot nope you know he's got his oscar with uh cuckoo's nest he's doing the last detail and all and he kind of takes a dip with that comes back with terms of endearment you know and then the villain uh i saw that at the new beverly a while back i've wanted to see that for years it looked like kirk douglas and arnold schwarzenegger in a wiley coyote type movie and man that was not funny enough either so that's a curse here as well and the legend of the lone ranger i mean i never saw it (laughs) but uh I mean, the Western was dead. Like, that, like Pale Rider came out, and they'd be like, only, only one person can make a Western that's a hit, and it's Clint Eastwood. Yeah. And then nobody made Westerns until, like, Unforgiven. And then they made, it like, 100 again. Westerns the next year. <laughs> yeah. It was dead. It was a dead genre. You know, of all the film brats that came back, and they brought back all these genres, you know, the, the mob movie was nothing. Then they made The Godfather. Sci-fi was pure B-movie bunk. They made Star Wars, but uh, none of them, nobody did a Western. Nobody really tried to bring back the Western, did they? Unforgiven, I mean, winning the Oscar and everything was just a major leap for that genre. Well, and that, that was famously under development for like 15 years also. And I think, so this being under development, that being under development for that long is like, the Western is dead, so it's hard to shoot one 
and then none of these help sell the cause of the the western as a classic genre. Uh, other things you might see if you were looking in the film, uh, Vincent Schiavelli, yeah, the tallest, weirdest dude of the eighties and nineties that you're going to find, and seventies clearly as well. Yeah, suddenly we're in a monastery, right? He 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 takes some uh, uh, mushrooms with some natives because we end up with natives at some point because this movie just continues moving on from possible comedic premise to possible comedic premise doing nothing with each and then he's yeah wakes up with monks a different religion oh boy i can't wait to see what is going to happen when a rabbi in the old west meets a bunch of monks oh they've taken a vow of silence and he says can you pass the salt and vincent Schiavelli breaks his vow of silence and says here <gasps> oh yeah no he says like thank you he says you're welcome oh, oh you're oh, welcome oh, and then they all laugh and oh, break their vow of silence God. Right. Yeah. If you like, I'm sure we'll see this dude later in Witness. There was one Amish dude in this, the Amish people scene, who was an Amish dude in Witness. Oh, really? I don't know. I looked up his name. I couldn't figure out what it was. But as far as I know, he never played anything other than Amish. That was, uh, so that was interesting seeing him. And then Val Bisoglio played the Indian chief. Last thing he was in was in Soprano. So he might have been an Italian dude playing the Indian chief. Oh, yeah. Well, that would be... For this time, uh, and we mentioned William Smith. So yeah, there's the there's a not a huge lot of notable characters in the supporting cast, but you're there for Ford and Wilder. So hey, a lot of a lot of Ford on a horse. Now, what's our, our yeah. previous record of Ford on a horse is nothing. I mean, we you know he's on a horse briefly in Journey to Shiloh. I mean, I guess he's on a horse a lot in Journey to Shiloh, but I mean that's whatever. But this is like. Real cowboy horse running away, shooting, firing. Yeah. You know, it's it's the it's the classic image, and we're gonna see him on a horse a lot. That's a that's a, a Harrison Ford mainstay. Yeah, and he, and when that. you do, it's him. You know, he's famous for doing his own stunts, but I mean, clearly, in uh, it was one of the biggest stunts he did in Raiders, chasing down the truck and jumping right. onto it, and then all that stuff. So yeah, he was big on the uh, on the horse, and it started started here in the seventies. Yeah. So everything else uh, in concerning this movie's legacy, it batted about 500 in reviews. But Wilder got mostly positive notes pretty much across the board, which is interesting. Because, I, again, I thought he was hamming it up a bit. Um, but it also got very positive response as a Jewish movie. Bring him out! And sure enough, his character is very nice and kind and operates from the best of people in you know situations in the West that are dirty and filthy and full of nefarious folks. So I, I get that, but uh, you know, I just I, I haven't looked at this to get excited about much of it. So that was interesting to read. It pokes no fun at the Jewish faith. It's uh, it's you maybe know maybe I mean? that's it, it. it. Maybe that's yeah. why the jokes aren't there for that because it's so reverent towards it that you can't have fun with it. Either. Well, and, and part of the plot is you know he drops the Torah, somebody else picks it up, and he has to go back for the Torah. He puts himself in a lot of danger to get his Torah back. Yeah, but I think you're right that it doesn't. You know, oh boy, a rabbi in the desert. Well, he's just gonna be so uh, pious and forthright that it won't be that fun. <laughs> That's well, that. I, literally, literally, several times in this movie, a cowboy and a rabbi walk into a bar, and <laughs> li- uh, nothing happens. <laughs> I mean, really, you don't get you don't get much more basic than that. <laughs> it sets itself Numerous up. Numerous times, a rabbi and a cowboy walk into a bar, and nothing <laughs> happens. Unforgivable. Well, that ain't the American way. Uh, that's, that's the biggest laugh I got yet. Harrison Ford plays a bank robber. And so he gets to be a classic, you know, he pulls the 
the handkerchief over his face, you know, nobody move. You know, we get all the, we get all the you dirty rats. We get all the put it down. We get all the draw. We get him saying every single Western line, including, you know, put your hands up and give me all your money, you know, and, um, you know, we're going to make this like a church. Everybody put your money in the... There's a guy in the back of the train with a gun. Don't turn around if you want to live, you know. I had all that stuff. It's true. Yeah, I liked watching him do that. But, you know, they go to a town, and he doesn't know that Harrison Ford's a bank robber, and Harrison Ford's like, I'll be right back, and he just walks into the bank. It reminded me of Raising Arizona. It's like, yeah. baby needs some huggies. I'll be taking these huggies. Any cash you got. Yeah, and he walks out of the <laughs> bank with, a, you know, with a gun and money, and they're like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and that's the first that uh, Gene Wilder was hearing about it yeah. you know that but that adds the morality thing too you know that again very you know like a rabbi would never steal and of course he ends up having to shoot someone uh, you know a man of faith being challenged by a new world you know he and of course looking back you go oh i guess he was really challenged in his faith even but the way you described it sounds dramatic they just probably should have gone that route all right but in the harrison ford list of essentials does he have righteous anger oh yes Many, oh, many times. My gosh. <laughs> I have six instances of righteous anger. There's more because there were run-on sentences, and I counted each of those as an instance of anger. So if he said five things in one scene, angry, I still only counted that as an instance of anger rather than count every single line. But that's a lot of it. I mean, come on, man. I mean, for, for this far in, in Harrison Ford, that is a ton of Harrison Ford anger, righteous anger <laughs> most of the time. Sometimes just angry, but mostly righteous anger. You can't go that way. You'll die. Yeah, and we all know that pointing is to Harrison Ford as running is to Tom Cruise. And he gets ample pointing in this. In fact, probably making up for lack of points in some previous uh, films, he gets a ton of pointing in here. Paul, I have 15 points in this movie. (laughs) He points 15 times. And at that scene at the restaurant, it became really, really funny because... You know, you're you're just you're cheering for him to keep going as he's making each point. You're like, come on, point at him again. But and he does it. Like, come on, point him at again. He you're does a it. good man. I love this. Yeah, just oh, <laughs> point again, point again. It's amazing. I mean, we got excited about you know in in Force Ten, he points at two people and three things. But here, <laughs> you have fifteen points all at people. And pointing <laughs> is the main thrust of his no pun intended point of the argument. You know, like, I, I'm, if I'm not pointing, I'm not making my point in this particular right. scene. It's just, you needed this, and you needed that, and you're a better person than you think, and you, 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 so much you, that you had to point at him so he remembered who he was talking about. And does he smile and charm? Yeah, I mean, he's smiling in the end there. He smiles every once in a while before then. You know, he seems he's to smile when he gets away with a, with a, a robbery. You know, not not a ton of it. He's not, like, you know, in working girl charm, but... Uh, so there's no smiling when they're playing... The, out the odd couple portion of it, you know, where the two are trying to make it through the West and get stepping on each other's toes and stuff. So he didn't really get a smile there. But yeah, when he shows up and cleans up, certainly when he's wearing the cravat, he's got some smiles going on there. <laughs> I think shouting and growling, that's all been covered by the previous things. Does he hit a guy? Well, the punch count no, no, hold, here. Hold on a second, Paul. Oh. Don't skip over shouts. Oh, yes. Because we have something to talk about here. Get the gun! Okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So there is a scene... And this is one of the best scenes. You know, I mean, we're sitting here, we're we're noting that there's one shout in this movie or two shouts. We've, we, we, we dig around and we find one point. Uh, but so here, when it comes to shouts in this movie, there is, a, he'd already shouted six times, good shouts. And then Gene Wilder has to grab a gun to defend them and shoot the bad guy. And so Harrison Ford starts shouting, get the gun. It continues 
and continues and continues. And in that one scene, in that one scene, he had 34 shouts. Shoot him for crazy! Shoot him! 55 seconds of shouting. That is never going to be beat. That <laughs> is isn't. the thrill of a lifetime for us collecting these statistics. Right. A total of 40 shouts in this movie. Shoot him, like 34 <laughs> in that scene and six other shouts. 40 Shouts! Get the gun! Get the gun! Get him! Shoot him, Abram! He's gonna kill you! He's gonna kill him! Shoot him! Grab the gun! There. Shoot him! Shoot him, Abram! It's in the sand! <laughs> it's in the sand! You gotta get it! There, right there! And you just imagine the ADR session where the guy's just like, yeah, give me, give me like 50 alternate takes here. Let's just, now just keep going, Harrison. Just keep and going, Harrison. And when you Aaron. think of uh, shouting, you think of things like, Dad, come on! In like Last Crusade, <laughs> he's yelling at Sean Connery. But, but I, I'm curious to watch that movie now and count the shouts because... It's not going to be close. Even though he does no. it all the time. Dad, what? Dad, what? You know, all that. I yeah, still don't yeah. think he's going to come close. It's just this this scene, this shout-a-thon of 28 lines in a row or something like that. Okay, no, 28 in that scene, six before it, oh, and then gotcha. five after it. Okay. So maybe, <laughs> I don't know what my math is there. Because uh, I don't know if I added, I don't know if I added that shout. Oh, no, I did. So 40 total. Yeah, you. I think You're that's like 40. like the Frank Janish of the Ford Fiesta. Right. Uh, this is so great. These statistics are so <laughs> enjoyable. I mean, he and he shoots five yeah, things or and, people. Yeah, and he shoots so much, we probably were denied a number more punches. You know, yeah. He ends up cowboying it and shooting a lot more, so we've got denied. Yeah, only punches. two punches. Yeah. Only two punches. But he shoots two guys in the head, he shoots two fish, and then shoots... One other person, I think. Now, the so two punchers are like of the same guy in the same fight, but that counts, yeah. right? So, yeah. You and I, we, we might as well have cat's ears, and, and when we hear a shout or a point or, uh, you know, any of the essentials, our ears perk up. So, in that scene, it's like he shouts, and we both look at each other. Yay, we got a shout. And then he shouts again. Then he shouts again. Then he shouts again. And then we just start laughing. We're like, oh, my God, is he going to keep going? And he just keeps going. We had to back it up. I'm like, yeah, I got to rewind that. Yeah, we had to rewind oh. that. Wow. <laughs> Wow, and that just that just turned this into an epic movie because we've been paying attention to the, the Ford Essentials, and this has the Ford Essentials like crazy. So with that, that's a career total to date, I believe, if I'm, my math is right. You seem to be the stats guy here, but that's eight punches. That's Jack Lemmon, Barbara Bach, a bunch <laughs> of MP. Nazis, and Gene Wilder twice. Punched him and then pistol whipped him, which is kind of a punch. Oh, right, that's why I count yeah. that twice. Yes, that's right, we had that discussion. That's right, we had that discussion. <laughs> So, how Harrison Ford is he in this then? Well, I mean, these aspects are are merely portions of an overall Harrison Ford. I mean, you can shout a lot, you can have a lot of righteous anger, you could shoot some guys and punch some guys, but is that the whole deal, Paul? Does that a Harrison an epic Harrison Ford performance make? How Harrison Ford is he? He only feels 60% Harrison Ford for some reason. Yeah, but it's because the movie isn't epic. That doesn't help, right. you know? So it's kind of like... But within it... I might go up to 70 just because he does everything that you he want. Does everything. But for not great results. Yeah. yeah. But but you're right. I mean, the, the shouts alone, the shouts and points... I mean, he points so much in this movie. There's so much righteous anger, so many points, and so <laughs> many shouts, and so many gunshots... And and punches, I mean, wow! I started you know, off it, it, talking about how I didn't care for this movie. I'm, I'm I'm liking it more now that I just focus on Harrison Ford. Yeah, I, I think I like most things more if I just do that. It's true. And we don't just count 
shouts in anger because we like that, and that's a Harrison Ford essential. It's we love the sound of his voice when he does it. And, you know, we've counted shouts before that don't sound like Harrison Ford, that don't sound as, Dad, what? You know, like that sort of, <laughs> that squealy, you know, shout. That's every shout in this movie. Come on, it's, it's Dad. Just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so every one of those and on all the anger is a, you know, is perfect Harrison Ford anger. So it just all hits that spot. You're just like, it feels very Harrison Ford, even though it's not an iconic. He never cuts a heroic figure the way he could as a cowboy. He doesn't live up to that potential, but he's a cowboy. He's a cow, just like Han Solo. That's pretty damn Harrison Ford. Yep. yep. Cowboy, space cowboy, you can do them both. An epic character of Hollywood, a cowboy, you know, the archetype. Like, And, and he is cut from movie Marble. And so this is, so yeah, I mean, we go 70, 75. What do you think? 70, 70 sounds good. The other thing that's exhibited, and it's not a, a Harrison Ford we, essential, but there, I mean, look, we have studied Harrison Ford's performances Intricately, We know every little nuance he does and we see him all here. We see him on display and this is what we're in for. You could be, you could have the worst Harrison Ford movie, but he's always going to be Harrison Ford in that movie. And the one thing that's exhibited a lot in this, which is real fun. And, and I have written down here, uh, the, the word proper from, from return of the Jedi is it was against my programming to impersonate a deity. It wouldn't be proper. And Harrison Ford goes proper. Proper. Now, that furrowed brow, <laughs> that confused look we've seen before and, you know, playing weird, weirder characters and stuff where he's using that as an affect. But that version of proper, that furrowed brow is in a lot of this movie. And that's a really fun, like, everything he says is super Harrison Ford, but all the variety of Harrison Ford, including proper. I'm not going to calm down. That's, work, that's working, girl. But he does simile furrowed brow. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna calm right. down. That's a, right, right. That's a that's a mode of anger. It's not you know, we've been counting anger largely loud anger. Yeah. But yeah. that's also a classic. All right, well that wraps the Frisco Kid, and you won't find Harrison Ford in the old west again until there are aliens involved. On the next show, it's gonna be a bit of a blast from the past. We are going to get to watch a Harrison Ford movie wondering when he's going to show up. We've been pretty spoiled so far, but next the next show we get to watch and wait and wait and wonder when Harrison Ford is actually going to make a very tiny appearance in a movie we're going to watch all of. That And that would be more American Graffiti and William Bibiani <laughs> will be our special guest for that yeah. episode because it turns out he likes this movie better than the original American Graffiti. So we have to hear about that. And this is what I love about William Bibiani. Paul, there is 0% chance we're going to walk out of that conversation without highly considering the fact that it is better than American Graffiti. That is Bibiani right there. So I'm so excited. And he pinned us down. He goes, can I talk about more American Graffiti? Like, we hadn't even approached any guests. I love that. I mean, that's the most on-brand William Bibiani thing to go, guys, guys, can I can I request a movie? And we're like, okay, which movie? Which movie is going to be? More American Graffiti. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait. Uh, And when we hear it from him, so will you. And we'll see you then.